welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. It's a Thursday night. We got a cool guest sitting in our couch. Someone's phone just dinged. Who the fuck didn't turn it's their phone you. off? It's you. It's you. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's me. Amazing. Yeah. Hey, everyone. It's Amanda. And we do have a guest sitting with us on our couch today. We have Chris. It's Chris. Is it Lochin? Lochin. Lochin. Cool. No, the painkiller. Well, I was getting there. At least according to Instagram. Also known as Chris the painkiller on Instagram. And uh, Chris is another RMT. He also has a Bachelor of Science in Neuropsychology and Biology. So fairly impressive resume. And Chris reached out to us because he heard some episodes that were of interest to him. Specifically, the Walt Fritz episode caught his attention. Walt Fritz, eh? Yeah, he enjoyed that one. And he thought that he had some interesting information to share that other RMTs might find value in. In fact, since he's been here, he has taught me, I don't know, 7,000 different things (laughs) all in one breath. Um, So I don't think we'll have a problem getting info out of Chris. He likes to talk. So I'm going (laughs) to shut up now and let Chris introduce himself. So why don't you tell everybody who you are, what you do, give a little background on yourself. All right, guys. So um, my name is Chris. Um, I've been practicing as a massage therapist for about three and a half years or so. And um, I kind of started my practice uh, with the idea of like really helping people with breathing, pain. And I really wanted to draw together the lines between uh, neuropsychology, a big part of like what I studied at University of Toronto. So psychological trauma, body pain, uh, the link between kind of psychosomatic pain. So the kind of pains that don't really make sense when a physio or chiro talks to you and you tell them your story and they don't really understand it. Um, those kind of pains that people have that are maybe related to b- armoring their body and protecting parts of themselves that have been hurt. You know, you sprain an ankle and you limp for a long time, but you might not realize 10 years later you're still not walking the way you used to walk and you're not moving the way you used to move. And those are the things that RMTs like us are trained to notice Mm -hmm. so this is kind of like how i got started with the passion towards uh massage was like when i was in school realizing that there's so many layers that you can notice and help someone with and the idea of like pain being mental or physical and having a separation between it as it's kind of taught in the allopathic model to physios chiros rmts i feel like there needs to be like a reframing of that which is happening with which the biopsychosocial yeah. model. And uh, it just seems to me that it's happening way too slowly. Okay, what do you mean by that, happening way too slowly? I mean, uh, it's only in the last like five, 10 years that you're even hearing RMTs talk about treating a client for insomnia and stress and depression and anxiety as kind of like a norm. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was in massage school, it was kind of like just kind of being introduced that, hey, like we're actually getting good research now showing that stress and cortisol levels and uh, various things like markers of uh, wellness related to mental health are actually being incorporated as benefits of massage. Whereas mm-hmm. for years, it was only looked at as musculoskeletal skeletal therapy for the most part, right? And also like spa relaxation type of things. Well, and that's what it is still looked at by most of the general public, as well as uh, massage ther- therapy education itself. I mean, the massage schools, as far as I can tell, haven't changed the curriculum to really incorporate much of this research, which by the way, I've mentioned before, and I'm sure you know, is nowhere near new. 
the biopsychosocial model and this whole idea is actually from like the early 70s. It's not new. It's like it's new to us, I guess, apparently. New to us, meaning RMTs. New to RMTs, oh, okay. right? Because gotcha. when I was in massage school, like even like five years ago, we had a whole unit about depression, anxiety, PTSD, stress body trauma, sexual abuse, all this kind of stuff mm -hmm. that we're going to have clients that have experienced these kind of things and they're getting treatment for it with a psychologist and you're going to have the odd occasion where you are the shoulder that that person's venting to because you're the one touching that part of the body that's traumatized, helping them through the process of going back and revisiting that pain as part of the process of learning about that part of your body and what it really is asking for. I would even argue it's not the odd occasion. I feel as a massage therapist, therapist is a key word in what we do. You know, I don't want to overemphasize how much of a mental health benefit that we do provide, but I've had more clients tell me about their life changes and related to unrelated to their pain than related to their pain. So more related to like, I'm able to kind of enjoy my evening when I go home now and like, I'm going to be able to go home and just kind of hang out with my wife and not feel all of these background sirens in my brain firing off pain, distracting me from enjoying the actual moment I have with my wife. I've heard more things like that. Like I'm enjoying that part of the experience just as much as being able to lift the weight or do the work or physically move better. That's got to be like the best part of being a massage therapist when somebody gives you feedback like that, like because of you, not directly or just because of you, but because of you, I can actually enjoy my life a little bit. That's pretty good. That's like probably the best compliment I think you could get. Yeah. It's like you're having that moment where what you went to school for is a little bit out the window. You don't care about the range of motion right now. You care about have we had a change in the range of motion of your actual life? Are you reaching further in life than you used to because you're able to make decisions that you otherwise would have had a block because you have pain? Are you going to a barbecue that you would have stayed home from because you have pain? Those are the things I care about more than, oh, can you reach your toes now? Because reaching your toes doesn't mean that you're going to have a better day tomorrow. I have to ask you this question because we've asked other people on the podcast this question who have... Um, university degrees in something like what you, I mean, you studied neuropsychology and biology. You're a pretty academic kind of guy. Massage therapy, you and I even talked about off mic, isn't that academic. What made you decide from going to U of T and studying neuropsych and bio to go into massage therapy at Sutherland Chan? So when I was two years old, my mom fell down the stairs with me in her arms. And so at that moment, she hit the floor. She managed to orient her body in such a way that I didn't get hurt at all. And she cracked her eighth thoracic vertebrae, the spinous process. Um, there was a lot of like micro trauma, a lot of like kind of uh, long term stiffness and a lot of issues that she had throughout the years. And by the time I was a couple years old and like it was a kind of appropriate to do so, I was walking on her back. Uh, probably three, four, five years old, I was walking on my mom's back already kind of. Uh, getting my mom and dad kind of showing me the idea of like, you know, put your feet over the shoulder blades, put your feet over kind of like the thoracolumbar junction, not obviously using anatomical terms, but using your heel to kind of fish around and find tense areas and make it pop. And uh, getting those little cavitations as a kid, I remember it became this kind of rewarding thing where in my mind it was like, I'm helping mom right now. It's really rewarding to walk and make it feel a little pop because then mom feels good and She's walking around instead of lying down all day or something to that effect. I don't remember exactly as a kid. Mm -hmm. This is over 20 years ago. So this was kind of the first association with like helping people with pain 
Um, it's kind of the first association I really developed in terms of like knowing that uh, you can help people with uh, physical pain by touching them. So I was like under 10 years old realizing that I remember in high school, I thought like, I want to do physiotherapy or massage therapy. I want to do something that helps people who have like injuries that they don't deserve. So and, you always uh, wanted to do something in this realm. I knew I wanted to help people with pain, but I didn't mm -hmm. know exactly what the path was going to be for a while. Right. Um, when I was in high school, I got a football injury where I tore my lateral horn of my meniscus on my right knee. And so I got it scoped and, uh, through my physio program and my rehab program, um, over the course of the years, I had also had like tennis elbow and golfer's elbow from doing uh, Muay Thai and martial arts over the years. I had tried physio a lot and worked with lots of physios. And finally, like when I was maybe 17 or so, a physio I was seeing, he recommended, he's like, hey, why don't you try this massage therapist? I think he's going to help you more than I can right now because this isn't an issue I can really do anything about today. And I want you to feel like you left here and had something done. So I met this man named Abe Gunda. So he's the owner of Lapsley Physiotherapy. And he's been uh, blind for over 40 years. Ah, mm. What's his name? Abe Gunda. Mm, Omar. Yeah, I was going to say, we've heard this name before. He is like a Jedi. He's like Yoda. This is exactly how Omar described like exactly. him. Exactly. Yeah. Was it Omar? Why was I thinking it was, it was Omar. Andre? No, no, it was Omar. Ugh, I'm mixing people up now. Abe is a legend. He's been doing it over 20 years. And he will touch you like without even looking. He doesn't know where you are. He doesn't know where any of your limbs are, like, by looking at you. He doesn't know what your posture is like. He doesn't know how you walk. But he can tell exactly where your pain is the first time he touches your body. He knows where every single thing that needs to be touched where it is. And he knows exactly how it needs to be touched already. I've never felt any kind of touch like his in my entire life. Because he knows, like, almost the exact muscle cell that I want him to touch um, he'll find an injury in my body that is like 10 years old that I forgot about and tell me that the scar tissue needs just a little bit of a, a little bit of a circulation. He'll get in there with very little prep and your body just lets it happen. There's like, it's almost like, it's literally like he's a Jedi. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like he has some x-ray touch. It's special. It's unique. And I've learned from massage. I've learned massage from osteopathic practitioners. I've learned from uh, I've learned from a number of different people with great like degrees, diplomas, pedigrees, and things like that that should be amazing instructors. But just simply doing ex exchanges and getting massages from this man for since I was seventeen for the last ten years and chatting with him throughout the massages has taught me more than probably I learned in school. Mm -hmm. It's like literally the experience of oh, this is what I should be striving to perform for people. Having that kind of like reference point of like, ah, that's the closest to perfection that I can reasonably try to attain. Let me try to approach what he's doing. Wow. It's like, I, it's, I can't say more about how valuable of a mentor he was for me. Mm -hmm. And that's what changed my gears into understanding like, oh, body work is about touching people, not about knowing physics and biomechanics. It's actually about, are you good at helping people? And do you know where the, where the touch needs to happen, right? That's what I learned from him. So why the neuropsychology neuro and biology? Yeah, why? 
Because U of T looks good. So I was around 19, 20 years old at the time when I started dating a, a woman who's a shiatsu therapist. Okay. And um, I had decided that I was going to do my neuropsychology degree because I wanted to study physio or chiro. Mm-hmm. I knew that I could practice massage as a physio or chiro. I'm able to do ART and soft tissue release, trigger point release. I was aware of all these things. And I thought that I didn't want to do a massage therapy diploma. I wanted to do something that is going to be maybe like a doctorate level gotcha. or something that's mm-hmm. at a master's level. So that was more of like a stepping stone to get into the therapy. That's what I had thought. And I also had thought that I wanted a bit of preparation and I wanted to have my doors open to psychology because I had always been fascinated with helping people with mental health just as much as the physical health. Mm-hmm. Right. So I wanted kind of like something broad enough that covers bases. Throughout the relationship with this person who uh, was working as a shiatsu therapist, she really inspired me a lot and introduced me to breath work and yoga and um, network spinal analysis chiropractic. Mm -hmm. So that's a modality of chiropractic that uses gentle touch to influence your uh, breath wave and kind of your respiratory patterns. Uh, They don't crack any bones. They mostly use like neuro uh, proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitative stretching. Mm -hmm. They'll use a bit of like um, PIR but it's mostly like touch-based breath work, like breathe into here, bring awareness over here. It's a lot of interesting kind of uh, things that are, they're trying to influence the brain waves and the electromagnetic waves of your body in a form of a meditative state while providing kind of a bodywork framework based around physical, chemical, and psychological stress rather than just physical pain that often chiropractors only look at. This person, the shiatsu therapist, she had a really big influence on opening my eyes to alternative health because I had previously only kind of looked at a few alternative health options. I hadn't really looked at naturopathic, uh, acupuncture, osteopathic, um, some of the offshoots of chiropractic, like network spinal analysis, like some of the lesser known things I wasn't really aware of. So throughout my undergrad, um, this person influenced me a lot in terms of like helping me understand what I really wanted out of the career in the first place was to be able to help people on a day-to-day basis, uh, know that I'm causing and affecting change that this person is benefiting from over the long term, not just kind of a quick fix for the moment. It was a hard decision, but eventually I decided that I'm going to postpone finishing my undergrad and I started school at Sutherland Chan. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent a couple of uh, like a couple of semesters there and then I finished my undergrad and Sutherland Chan kind of concurrently and uh, graduated with the degree in the diploma within the like both within six years like four and two but i kind of it was the same spring that i got both of the designations okay which was a really big year for me so given that i kind of came from this perspective where i'm receiving a lot of care for my own injuries from someone who at the time i didn't realize was one of the best therapists in the entire province probably i was given the opportunity to go to university of toronto and study and Sutherland Shannon study, I kind of feel really blessed to have that mentorship. Um, And that's kind of what set me on the path of like, okay, I have everything kind of lined up to succeed here. Where, where, what am I missing? And so that's when I got really thirsty to understand more things. Because when I was in massage school, and they're teaching maybe like pain theory, I want to know like, what are they thinking at U of T that is like, not going to trickle down into the massage therapy curriculum for another 10 years, right? Those are the kind of questions I started to have. So what was your practice like when you first came out of school then? So I was first practicing at Abe's uh, physiotherapy clinic. So I was working with like clients who are majority MVA, MVC clients or athletes um, at kind of like a high school level or uh, like college level 
your typical physiotherapy clinic demographic, seniors, people of all ages, mm -hmm. um, majority was like MVCs and uh, desk workers. Okay. So I spent a lot of time working closely with physiotherapists and a chiropractor. Uh, the chiropractor I was working with, we worked on a lot of cases together that were like whiplash or like uh, erector related like uh, issues from mm -hmm. car accidents and like cervical dysfunctions and things like that. After some time, I uh, got a job with Hand in Stone Canada at um, one of the shops at the shops at Don Mills Spa. Right. I uh, dedicated a lot of time there to building a client base and working like evenings and weekends and uh I had such an amazing experience working there with uh, the owner. He just opened a second spa on the Danforth and he's one of the best owners I've ever worked for in the sense of like being fair to every RMT and understanding the RMT's point of view, even though he's not an RMT. Mm -hmm. um, so I got the opportunity to do a training for his staff. So onboarding new staff and training them on aromatherapy and hot stones and our spa protocols and things like that. I was hired as like the lead massage therapist to do the training there, which was a great honor given that Hand and Stone is the biggest uh, massage company. There's three over 300 locations in the States and approaching 30 in Canada. And being able to go to their national conference in Niagara and have experiences networking there and uh, having experiences training in hot stones and being trained on how to train hot stones by mm -hmm. Don Dillon was a really good experience. That was kind of the stage after my physiotherapy uh, and kind chiropractic and multidisciplinary like start of the career and then the next phase was kind of uh, I started working with physio mobility in the shops at Don Mills so that's a physio clinic it was a beautiful opportunity to work with these physios in their facilities and see like the laser pointer strapped to someone's head and like a spiral to kind of understand their dysfunctions and their fine motor skills in their neck so if you can't stabilize your head and use your head to move around in a very precise way over time and you're not getting the progression you're looking for she can kind of figure out where's the missing link what's going wrong so these kind of exercises are things we would never do in massage school put a laser pointer on your head and figure out are you stable getting the opportunity to see these kinds of like more engaging um things that you're just not going to get in massage school well you can't get that stuff right? in massage school no. if you did massage school would be fucking it'd be five like, years it'd be long. 10 years yeah. long yeah so <laughs> well and that's the point when you come out and we've talked about this so many times when you're in massage school their goal is to train you to understand the basics to enter the practice, enter the profession. And it's up to you then to figure out what kind of practice do I want? What kind of therapist do I want to be? What kind of clients do I want to work with? And figure out what else you need to learn, right? And that's why... Well, that's why places like this exist. You know, we we help to further people's education based on what they want to do, right? And believe it or not, when I came out of school, I thought I'm going to be a sports massage therapist. I'm going to be like a physio type therapist. I'm going to be like, oh yeah, um, by the by the kinesiology books, biomechanics, everything. Mm -hmm. that. One year later, I'm working in a spa, teaching hot stones, uh, doing craniosacral, focusing on like people's chakras in my mind, thinking about that and not really thinking a whole lot about their range of motion, but it's getting better. I know it is. I'm measuring it, but that's not really what I'm thinking about when I'm working. Mm -hmm. And to have such a shift from thinking like, oh, I'm going to be like a, like, you know, a myofascia kind of sports therapist, kind of ART kind of therapist to the therapist I evolved into. I loved working in the spa environment so much. I prefer it over the physio environment. I'm doing the same things in the room for the most part, but the client experience is so much better 
if it's the same therapist, if you put you, if you put any of us in a spa room and do a treatment or a physio room and do a treatment, high chance we're in a better calm vibe to do the treatment. I know I am in the spa environment. Just even the lack of fluorescent lights is enough to have me just 1% more relaxed, 1% well, and, better. And you found where you matters. fit. You found where you fit. That's like something that I preach all the time is that there's, yes, there's 15,000 therapists in Ontario and there's room for all of us because there are people who would absolutely cringe at what you just said. That peep, there are therapists who are like, no, I don't want to be in a spa. I don't want to smell essential oils. I don't want the relaxing music. There are people who like being in a gym and, you know, working with modalities and not even being behind closed doors. You know, for example, Angelito. Could you imagine Angelito in a spa? No. No, not for a second. But that is the awesome thing about this profession is we can all help people, but we help specific people. We help the people that align with the type of therapist we are. My clients wouldn't go to Mark. Your clients wouldn't come to me right? It's just, yeah. it's so cool that we can all be doing sort of the same thing, but so drastically different. We all get different flavors, but we're all ice cream. Everyone likes ice cream, right? Everyone wants a know. massage. Yeah. Yeah. This discussion. Lactose, <laughs> no, I'm just, lactose, I'm just kidding yeah, because exactly. Mark is so obsessed with ice cream. Like he well, cannot wrap his head around me. I don't like ice cream. You're weird. He cannot understand. Yeah. You're both looking at me like I have two fucking heads right now. Yo, I, I, I don't like ice cream. I've had friends who don't like massages. Well, they're weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some people don't like to be touched. No, I know. Actually, my mom has a daughter and a son-in-law who are both massage therapists. And I bet you she's never had a massage in her entire life. I don't think she I, I like want to be touch touched. my mother. Yeah, don't touch my mom. <laughs> the first time I was she in massage like school, my, I asked my mom, like, hey, mom, like, I know you have a back issue from my fault when I was two and I was crying and you fell down the stairs. Can I help you? Can I give you a massage now that I'm good? <laughs> I'm like, I don't walk on backs anymore. I'm actually good now, mom. I promise. <laughs> yeah, she liked the walking, didn't yeah, she? <laughs> she's, like, she's like, you way too much to walk. I go to this uh, lady down the street that uh, does acupuncture, walks on my back then does the massage does everything cupping everything and uh she's an rmt she has all the licenses and you're in first year you're a student i don't trust you yet i'm like mom uh i, I Ma, but, but, yeah, and nope. You get day, the you get the most honest, brutal feedback from your parents. Yeah, to this day, I've only really done a bit of like trigger point stuff on her traps and shoulders, and like she hasn't let me work on her properly because she's like, I like going there, <laughs> relaxing, experiencing my experience. I have my therapist already, and then I kind of respect it because I'm like, maybe I don't want to think about how much pain my mom is in because I'm an empath and this is my mom so mm. yeah i'm kind of like on the fence i'm like i want to help you but how about i send my friend to do mm. like uh that works for me right so the fact that she has a good therapist who does what she likes and she leaves there with less pain it's perfect so two of my roommates that i live with like today we did a forehand massage on one of my friends and then we traded forehand massages because they love getting massages and giving massages too they're not licensed by any means but they're good because we all practice together on each other. And so there's a lot of forehand massaging happening and sometimes six-hand massaging happening. The fuck, I know man? Not, I can't even get two hands on me at home. You're it's right. not the unprofessional hour, but uh, <laughs> it doesn't really get unprofessional. It's usually like one person is doing like some nice calm stuff on the upper body to just be like, the pain is okay. I'm doing something painful because I'm Chris the painkiller. And then the other person is doing the other painful thing on the symmetrical part of the body that I'm doing. Mm. Something like this, right? Wow. So I need to hang out with different people. No, I'm kidding. I think so. <laughs> Um, yeah, let's like, talk about breathing because originally when you and I connected on Instagram, you said you want to talk about the importance of breath work and breathing. And a lot of the stuff you were saying to me when you got here 
I'm with you. Like I understand the importance of the diaphragm and the importance of it functioning properly and the importance of getting adequate oxygen. So why don't you talk to people about how you incorporate that into what you do? Painkilling. Okay, so uh, before you do this, can can you tell me where the name came from? The name Chris the Painkiller. Like, yeah. how did this name did you evolve? did you give it to yourself? Uh-huh. Like you gave yourself your own nickname, or did someone else give it to you? You know, um, so when I was in massage school, I did a spoken word about massaging people. Do you remember it? Probably. Let's hear it. Let's hear what you can remember. Do you do you need mood lighting or something? You sure. See, I'm in the business of relieving pain, and if I was Lebanese, my business card might say, "The Electronon from Lebanon." Voice real calm, dust till dawn, massage till my hands are raw, muscle stripping like Zanzibar. Compression, digital. Electronon, medicinal. Inhibition, reciprocal. My approach is clinical. Assessment, systematic. Myofascial dynamic. The difference is dramatic. That pain disappears. It ain't magic. I rearrange fascial trains and postural aesthetics, tie chains, I break links and unkink kinetic change in movement range and awareness kinesthetic. I relieve pains. I can't explain the experience energetic because that key flow I maintain. I'm a monk and I'm a medic. I'm not a pill, but I kill pain. So call me anesthetic, but I'm not Lebanese. Right on, man. That's Chris the painkiller. So the moment I said, not a pill, but I kill pain, call me anesthetic, was the moment that Chris the painkiller was actually birthed. Yeah. Yeah. He existed prior to this, but this is the day he actually climbed out of the womb. Mm. Now I feel like my my question is so boring. That was interesting. <laughs> oh. Uh, but, Okay back to that you are very very passionate about breath and breathing and before we got the mic (laughs) you talked about breathing and yoga and all of these different things so talk to us a little bit about how how important breath work is for you and how you incorporate this into your pain killing so prana the word prana is the word for breath work that uh, encompasses the idea that all you truly need for your body to be well and healthy is a proper breathing pattern and a healthy breath cycle. And the rest can kind of take care of itself. And the logic behind this is very much to do with uh, the electricity in your body, the blood flow in your body, Mm -hmm. the oxygen in your body. So those are three of the most important things that are happening right now. You have your blood flow, which is delivering oxygen, and you have the electricity which is basically making sure that everything's going on the right way and allowing you to make decisions on a moment-to-moment basis. If we're breathing better than we were one moment ago by 10%, it's assumed we're getting more oxygen. It's assumed we're getting a healthier nerve because it's more nourished, a healthier brain because it's got more oxygen to work with. And it's uh, hopefully going to influence the tissues by having them be better circulated with oxygen and and nutrition. So the idea of a proper breathing pattern on a molecular and cellular level is kind of described in our books that we read about and kind of what we've talked about already. But the visual that you see when you see someone who's not breathing properly, hyperventilation or apical breathing, that's neck breathing, chest breathing, the person who's like going for a flight, going for a jog up the flight of stairs and is out of breath already that's because they're not using the full lung capacity on each breath. They're taking a 40% shallow breath, perhaps, because they're not using their lower diaphragm and their pelvic diaphragm. So if we can focus on diaphragm activation as a primary goal first, restore the basic level of breathing pattern movement in the spine and the ribs, that might be helpful to start as a foundation before we think about a limb that's attached onto that part of the body. Because if the foundational pattern, the most fundamental thing we do 
every second of every day is breathe. That's the movement pattern, that expansion of the spine and the rib cage that's flowing in and out in a constant flux. It never stops. It never gets tired. And if you don't train it effectively, intentionally, it's going to have dysfunction from us sitting down so much, from us uh, being engaged in too much stress and compressing our bodies, us even lifting weights that compress our bodies together. Um, the day-to-day stresses that we're doing, if we're not focused on getting our ribs expanding all the way, getting our spine lengthened all the way, getting that full breath cycle, over the long term, we're going to be getting less oxygen and less nutrition into our body and less efficiency. We're going to be wasting energy holding our body up in a posture that it could be more efficiently stacked in alignment and then not actually take a lot of energy to hold yourself up in the first place. So the breath and the posture and the alignment of the body all kind of feed into each other, both in terms of how you uh, feel because of your energy level and the oxygen in your brain and all these different things, but it's also related to your function in terms of how you're going to move, Mm -hmm. right? So you're not going to see a lot of professional athletes with a really poor apical breathing pattern and dysfunction. Well, I mean, it's a little bit more than that, especially when we talk about athletics. Yes, the volume of air that we can inspire will definitely have an effect on the amount of oxygen that is brought into the system. That's that's a given. Mm-hmm. But when we're also looking at athletes, you're also looking at VO2 max, which is oxygen utilization at the cellular level, right? So an athlete has a couple of things that go for them, right? Because they have a lot of cardiovascular efficiency. So one, yes, the volume of air that they can bring in is going to be much larger. The lung capacity is larger, right? The ability to have gas exchange in the lungs is more efficient. It's greater, right? We can extract more of that oxygen that we breathe in and put it into circulation. The delivery system is more efficient, right? Bringing oxygen from the lungs to the working tissue is much more efficient in an athlete. And then the actual uptake of oxygen at the cellular level out of circulation, hence your VO2, is going to be at a much higher level. So yeah, that would definitely be the starting ground for an athlete would be understanding the importance of breath, but then that leads into the next step, which would be cardiorespiratory, cardiovascular efficiency. What I might add too is if you are getting a deeper, more full inspiration, your the nutation, counter nutation of your sacrum and your pelvic diaphragm and the way that your rib uh, your ribs are angled and all these various small changes that happen when you get a full inspiration, Mm -hmm. they give your muscles a better leverage point to explode from during athletics. Mm -hmm. And this is so obvious when you watch an Olympic weightlifter do a power clean. For sure. Or any of the kind of movements they do, you see how important their breath cycle and the angle that their spine, uh, the way their spine changes throughout the course of the repetition, if you watch it slowly, it provides better anchoring leverage points to explode and be athletic when you're able to expand these parts of your body into full full respiration. Yeah, for sure, because it changes things like the lever system. It changes the length of the moment arm. It changes mm-hmm. the length of the resistance yes. arm and therefore changing the capability of the muscles to produce force. So what I might ask is like, given that you're a kinesiology, kinesiology uh, uh, specialist? I, I fake shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, he doesn't. Yeah, you got the visuals in your brain, but if you want to like talk about it, it's like, let me draw you a picture, right? <laughs> like, it's... Uh, so what I would ask is just from a kinesiology perspective, it's like, what are the tools that they're teaching in kinesiology school to address this that maybe an RMT isn't going to know or isn't going to already kind of have a grasp on right away? Kin is so weird because there's a massive disconnect in a kin. Okay, to first start off, 
for you to be a registered kinesiologist, you have to have a, deg- a kinesiology a degree from whatever kinesiology program. Then you have to pass to their licensing exam. And right now, their licensing exam is is all a written exam. And uh, I got grandfathered in, so I didn't have to write the exam. But everyone that I've spoken to that has written the exam, they're like, yeah, this is really based on exercise physiology um biomechanics stuff that you might even get within your first two years of school so you can probably pass that exam after your first two years of school that Mm -hmm. being said so but kin is so fucking weird because it's all over the map i mean there's people that work in rehabilitation there's people that do body work there's people that get right into fitness and work as trainers and uh, there's people that uh, go into coaching the natural the national uh, coaching certification program become different leveled coaches for whatever thing there's kins that get into ergonomics there's kins that get into sports administration so like kin is just this super umbrella term for a whole bunch of things like you can have the kin degree and be working in sport administration and have no fucking clue about anything to do with rehabilitation and movement yeah. and yeah, blah, blah, but blah. So to, but to answer his question though too, uh, certain things that might be missing from massage curriculum that a kinesiologist would learn even in those first two years, yep. let's talk about exercise physiology. You don't get that in, you in don't, massage school. You, you get small amounts of no, you learn uh, physiology. Right, you learn cardiovascular exactly. physiology. We get, we get you don't therapeutic exercise, so we which get is nothing. Kind of a context framework of like, oh, isometric is good for when you just got hurt, and uh, eccentric is good for the tendon. Like, what else are we really getting from it? Because we already pretty much know contract the muscle. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, right? if we're if we're strictly talking about don't breath, give you a lot. If in massage school there was an actual like. Um, exercise physiology course, which talked about cardiorespiratory responses and things like that, like it's similar to the course that you okay. just taught yesterday. So, so I'll give you if an- we learned that in massage school to really put an emphasis on the importance of breathing, because I actually I agree with I agree with the painkiller here. Breath should be yes. probably one of the first things people understand. The number of clients that I have who literally sit in a slump all day and I don't think their diaphragm even knows how to how to move anymore. Okay, so I'll give you an example of this. So for like what I would have learned in kin that I would never have heard from in massage therapy school was the importance of the diaphragm in lumbar stabilization, right? So for example, in massage therapy school, you would never hear about the anticipatory contraction that happens with transverse abdominis and the diaphragm in in that anticipatory contraction that happens prior to limb movement, which would bring lumbar spine stability. You don't get that massage school. This would be something that happens like right at the bottom of a squat, for example, right when you're starting to change direction, you have that anticipatory contraction where your whole core... Yeah. This this actually right. happens. It's what prior. happens with every single movement. It happens even smaller even movements. Like not even. It happens. It happens. Yeah. It happens prior to limb movement. Yeah. Right. Your body anticipates it's going to happen. So when you have something like a valsalva maneuver, studies show that a valsalva maneuver delays that anticipatory contraction. Mm-hmm. So you don't have contraction then limb movement. You have them occurring almost simultaneously, which, which is very inefficient movement. Of course. So valsalva is not a good idea. You're saying in terms well, of like power. In terms in terms of creating lumbar spine stability so when a power lifter does a squat or a deadlift with a valsalva maneuver they might not actually be using their body in the most efficient way that might be something they learned that's not what a kinesiologist or physio would recommend you're saying something along those lines yeah so, but in the, in i mean when you also so take the a, context is everything right yes because i was doing, just gonna say they're doing like one rep and they're doing the valsalva for like that like 10 seconds to do that rep you wouldn't recommend they do that while they're doing construction all day exactly that's, that's not what the that's not what valsalva exactly is for. yeah and then you also have to max effort only you, right? you also have to look at a whole bunch of other things so for example if i got a power lifter that's wearing a belt 
belt. Mm-hmm. Well, that belt is now going to provide stability that my that my internal structures are right. not doing because I'm doing a valsalva maneuver, right? Mm-hmm. So I might not get it because of the valsalva maneuver, but I'm getting it externally. And the and the belt is really kicking in to assist a weak transversus abdominis, right? Essentially, because it's it's the belt is seeking to keep the organs in the same way the transverse would if it's not strong enough. You got it. This is so far beyond what the average person would be able to understand. So, so let me this this is an example of stuff that you get in kin. Now you don't yeah. get it. You don't get it in kin like this, mm. but you get all of the concepts and you sew them all together that you can create this kind of dialogue exactly. in your brain to come up with solutions for your patients and clients. Mm. Exactly. You don't get that in massage. Because massage school, they don't really give you all the tools you need to do the problem solving that you have to do in the career. But in all fairness, right? too, could the they stuff ever... they do give, even the stuff they do give, like when we are learning. Um, about digestion or when we were learning about the nephron or when we were learning about, you know, like all of these these um, courses we took that were going down to a cellular level, I, I felt like almost every student was just shutting off their brains. Like, why the oh fuck do God. I need Are to do kidding? this? Are you kidding me? Every single person was like, when am I ever massaging the nephron? When do I ever right. care about the B no cell, the shit. T So lymphocyte? how is it then like, massage therapists, the, at least a lot of the ones that we speak to, have this complaint about, well, we, we don't learn enough or you know, the education standard needs to be higher when all of us have had the experience when you're in massage school, people don't want to learn about the fucking cells. They don't want to learn about mitosis because they don't think it's important to them. Well, understanding things at a cellular level is what makes you understand exactly. things like breathing. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Imagine, imagine when you were in massage school, with the exception of you. Um, well, Chris, I'm putting, well, maybe you too. Imagine, <laughs> nah, I'm ima- I'm <laughs> imagine when you were in massage school, they decided to bust out everything about pain science. Mm-hmm. Everyone would be like, fuck this. I don't yeah. fucking care. I think they could structure like it we, in a way, we though. We spent a few lectures on, like, gate theory. We spent a few lectures yeah. on, like, substance P. And very little. Very just tip of the iceberg. Like, get the gist of this. Just yeah. know, like, and P I stands bet- for pain. Substance P. Chris the painkiller. Easy. Pass and, the exam. And, I, and, I, and I can, I, I'll bet the farm on it. When they were going through that little bit when you are in school, the majority of your class was, like, eye roll. Oh, people were just like, um... I barely know how to do the clinical assessment we did last week. Why are we learning micro level when we don't know micro level yet? Like micro level isn't helping me right now. I have anxiety about the exams that I have this week about Mm -hmm. like an actual OP where I have to perform a massage in front of my instructor and get graded on it. And you want me to memorize alpha cells, beta cells, some immunology stuff. I just, I just had this thought right now because the last time we had Omar in here and you've talked about this before, Amanda, you've talked about the idea of having two different tier systems with massage therapy, blah, 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 blah. Well, yes, maybe it should be two different tier systems, but differently to the way you described it, like post-grad massage work, which gives, which gives you, you know, this kind of information and then gives you this type of certification. That yeah. I can buy into. Yeah, I mean, I I was giving a very general idea, but to split up therapists in such a way that there are people who want to learn to be massage therapists who do traditional type of massage, like what the general public expects from massage, and then maybe people who have some advanced training. So for example, I had a new client this afternoon who came to me. Her, her daughter and her son-in-law have been... Um, clients of mine for a little while. And she is very standoffish on seeing new practitioners. Um, She's 
an older woman with, um, I feel like she's like way, she was way ahead of her time when she was young. I don't know, just the way that she believes healthcare should be like, she's much more into um, natural alternatives. And uh, she's Greek. Oh, there we go. That uh, makes sense. Thank you for answering well, my Europeans question. Adopted a lot of this. The Europeans and the Asians adopted this way ahead of North so, America. So this woman came to me and she said, well, the reason I agreed to come for this massage with you is because um, my daughter and my son-in-law told me that you also teach. She said, so I just feel like you might be a little more highly certified than the RMTs I've come across in the past. So there are people who are looking for someone more than just to get a massage, right? There are people mm-hmm. who want somebody who has a little bit more advanced training. So yes, this could be something that exists in the I mean, future. as I said it, I realize that's just what continuing education is all about. That is just what continuing <laughs> education is all about. So I take it all back. But, like, no, also- but don't take it back because the idea of having some kind of baseline of like, like, you know, just the idea that there's RMT and then there's masseuse and then from RMT being maybe the middle, we can have maybe something called, I don't know, musculoskeletal specialist or some kind of designation that is the post-grad, but puts everyone on an even playing field of like, okay, you come here, you're going to learn ART, you're going to learn yeah. like post-isometric relaxation, you're going to learn like cupping, you're going to learn acupuncture, you're going to learn all the modalities that you'd expect a really well-rounded, experienced RMT in the game forever to have Mm -hmm. so you're more of a pain specialist who can give a massage than a massage therapist who can relieve pain Mm. although every time we have this conversation i circle right back to yeah but people are going to find their people and if you do the continuing education you're going to get these things like chris you you went to sutherland chan you went to the same school that many thousands of rmts have gone to but your knowledge and the way you approach the body and the way you approach pain and the way you approach your clients is probably very different than another Sutherland Chan grad just because of your own interests and your decisions and what type of education you're going to do. Everyone, yeah. And what like what I would hope is that the gaps that, you know, you finish massage school and you have all these gaps because it's so rushed. And like I know every RMT in the province is going to agree when I say, Massage school feels a little bit rushed. I mean, a lot of your days you have two, three hour classes and then a clinic in the evening and you barely have time to brush your teeth and make food for the next day before you have to be in class again, right? When we're doing our full-time program, we're barely getting enough time to learn what we're actually doing and then learn the hand skills at the same time. So like combined, like having a post-grad where you can maybe go a lot deeper and do the certain things that you have the gaps in or some kind of ubiquitous like even playing field that is an upgrade i feel like i think mark will just have to create it maybe mark has to create it maybe (laughs) osteopathy is going to be that over time because like that's maybe one of the things i want to talk about too is like osteopathy in general is like growing and more people are recognizing that we can incorporate a nice chunk of their techniques right into our treatment without our client even recognizing that we're doing something different and it's helping people a lot right it's just another modality another form of therapy with some overlapping pieces but there's something about so overlap there's something about the public where when you have this kind of designation like you know the the uh diploma of manual osteopathic practitioner Mm -hmm. it has it says do right they think it's doctor so sounds good. They want to. They want to go to you. <laughs> they see RMT. Then they see. Then they see RMT uh, D O M P. They're like, 
huh, Dr. Dio. <laughs> so misleading that, eh? Right? So misleading. Right? So misleading. They did that on purpose. That oh, is it, it is so misleading. Like uh, It's so misleading. The majo- In the States, the they majo- are doctors. They right? are. The majority yeah. of RMTs, like, they don't even, they don't even realize that it's, uh, that, that is a DOMP. You have a diploma of osteopathic, uh, osteopathic manual practitioner. A lot of RMTs are running around calling them osteopaths. A they're lot of, not uh, osteopaths. they're not yeah. osteopaths. No, osteopath completely is a, fucking different. That's like a bone surgeon in the States. <laughs> an osteopathic manual practitioner is like a massage therapist who does joint mobilization as their specialty, basically. Exactly. And focuses on restoring fluid uh, movement in the body rather than uh, reducing muscle tension. Mm. Like muscle tension reduction will improve fluid movement, but their goal isn't reduce tension like ours is. Their goal is improve fluid movement and gas exchange kind of thing. Fun story. Like, o- overall, you just right? described. Um, you just described the profession better than any osteopathic yeah. manual practitioner I've ever asked to explain to me what do you do well that's what I mean I've only heard <laughs> yeah. like you're yours and you're not even a student and and uh, when I had Bridget on the podcast she described it really well she's like there's three legs to it there's uh, musculoskeletal work that we do but it's primarily uh, with joints right less soft tissue primarily with joints the other leg of it or one of the other legs is cranial sacral mm-hmm. and the other leg of it is visceral yeah and you do cranial sacral as well I think you said that yeah, like like in my massage program at Sutherland Chan, we had a full little section uh, where we learned craniosacral. We mm. learned the tentorum cerebelli and all this cool stuff and where it anchors in the sacrum and the duramater and all the kind of hand techniques you want to do, like the vault hold and the various locations to put your hands, how to kind of listen quietly to the impulse. And was that part of the curriculum or that was no, just, that was just, a, that was just, just a, like, a teacher that went yeah, way above Yeah, Bruce and McKinnon is amazing. And uh, he just decided, I guess... Hey, we have time to learn more stuff and it's really cool. Let's do right. it. You love science and you love research and there's a lot of people who think craniosacral is BS and there's uh-huh. not enough uh, supporting research. How do you respond? Oh, uh, patient response is everything. So you want to research all you want. I don't care because when your client says, hey, that worked better than anything you've done. Do that again. I say, okay. And they say, here's the money. So (laughs) when you want to read your little research and say this doesn't work and you've never had it done on yourself because you don't have a reason to have it done, if you don't have the, like, if if there's no inclination to do this on you and then you have it done on you, it feels like nothing's happening. Okay. Simple as that. My uh, friend, he's got a number of concussions and he gets like sinus and like maxillary sinus. And like, I know he gets like some of the, some of the, the fluid in the, in the uh, ventricles are definitely like not in the optimal uh, way. His neurologist literally told him like there's asymmetries in your ventricles because of the like contusions that you've had and the concussions that you've had. And I recommend you try osteopathic and craniosacral. His neurologist is like, okay, try anything literally. His neurologist is like, try acupuncture, yeah. try herbs, yeah. try osteo, try massage. Oh, your massage therapist does uh, cranio? Try it. Yeah. You've taught massage to a number of different people, Mark. Okay. Do you, when students first start the program, aren't there always students that you can tell right away? Somehow they just have an intuition. Somehow they just know what to do before you even taught them. For sure. And that's that's where I have a hard time really like solely, solely basing my opinions or my, my thoughts on research because sometimes I don't know if there's a good explanation for it. Look at like, the blind dude. Well, exactly. And as, <laughs> yeah. as Chris said, there's sometimes um, I'm working on somebody. There's a fucking somebody... Jedi roaming around that doesn't see a fucking thing. Well, yeah. yeah. Abe Yoda uh, Gunda. The blind massage therapist, he has never read a research article about anything because he does not read. 
uh, he uses he reads Braille, but mm-hmm. they don't translate scientific journals and massage therapy into Braille very often. So he doesn't read yeah. them. Occasionally, someone will read him the findings that are important, like, hey, did you know this? And he's like, oh, great. Doesn't really change my life because I massage well and I do my thing already. If you're really good at getting people to feel good with your techniques, I don't think you need to read a whole ton of research until you have a client that demands something that you're not comfortable doing. I'm on both sides, though. I I feel like the research is important and I want to understand what research is being done. And I like I I do think that's important. But like I said, there's some times where I'm perfectly okay with saying I don't even understand how I did that. But I did that. Like I do. I do reflexology. And when a client comes to me who has had issues with her bladder for months and months and months, I do three sessions on her feet. And she's like, yeah, I'm fine. Like I, ha- exactly. I haven't had this problem since I st- we started doing this. I'm like, I don't know what I did, where I touched your feet, well, but it worked. Well, the end of the nerve <laughs> is in your foot, right? The beginning of the nerve is in your brain. And maybe if you poke the end of the nerve, the other end of the nerve feels good. Who knows? And the naysayers will say, it's all placebo. And I say, I don't I fucking care. I love placebos. Because, uh, <laughs> if I can get a placebo to do something for me, I'm doing it because then I don't have to actually work. You win. Yeah, no, totally. Are and you kidding me? Placebo effect. If I could just like the client walks in, I put my hand on their back and they feel good. Placebo effect. D- job done. I'm paid. They're happy because they got them. They feel good already. Well, one thing what? I used to say when I started practice, and I mean, I, th- I think it's still true today. I just don't think I think about it as much. When I started practicing... I didn't know everything, right? You know, like I come out of massage school. I know what I learned in massage school. Mm. And obviously over the last nine years, I've gotten better as a therapist and I understand more things. But in that beginning phase, I understood the importance of showing your clients that you're confident in what you're doing, that if you don't know the answers to their questions, you'll either find out or you'll refer to somebody else. Like I I always really thought it was important to be very confident. And I remember I used to say to Mark all the time, Whatever I tell them the problem is, they just believe me. Yeah, and, they always do. Yeah, and I, so I- That's why I, you it, can damage people by telling them like, oh, this is broken. Right, and so then yeah. I, I uh, that's when I kind of realized like- They're gonna trust you. Uh, that the placebo effect, like me saying to them, like just as much as whatever I tell them is wrong with them, they believe me. When I tell them, oh my goodness, that feels so much better to me. Their response also is, yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, hmm. Is it that I fix this problem? Yeah. Possibly. Possibly the work I did, you know, obviously I can tell with the objective information. I can see the range of motion. I can feel the tissue. But is it also part of me telling them this is better, that now they feel better? Oh, yeah. If I could talk to you and convince you that your pain is in your head and or your pain is in your, the pain is not in your head or the, if I could convince you anything about your pain to make a change by talking to you, that's amazing, no? I can tell you words and then your pain feels different. Yeah, massage therapists do it all the time. I will literally be working on an awe and I'll tell you, oh, wow, that started to go down a fair bit, softening up. How are you feeling? You might not even have noticed because you're in like la-la land or you're sleeping. Then I bring your attention to the fact that it feels better. And to me, and you, that's the moment you notice, oh, it does feel better. It's yeah. actually the words that made you notice, right? In that moment. Yeah. So that's kind of magic. It kind of is, right? Yeah. And I, sorry, what I started to say before about, I mean, obviously now my story is not going to be quite as cool because there is a blind Yoda walking around. But that was something I always felt <laughs> that I had as like in my skill set is that sometimes I would do my assessments, but I didn't even put as much weight into the assessment of somebody's posture or gait or any orthopedic tests I did as I did on just 
getting my hands on them. I felt like I've always had a lot of really good intuition with my hands. And I would, as as you said, like I would kind of find a spot and I'm like, it's not even that there was a trigger point or whatever. I'm like, but this is where I need to be. And this is what I need to be doing. And I've had much feedback from people saying like, how do you always just know where it hurts? Yeah. Like I've been told so many times the quote, um, how do you already know that? Or how do you already know the pains there? Mm-hmm. And like we know it's because of trigger point charts and like pattern recognition because we've done this massage thing like 10,000 times by now. We know that. But to the client, it's like magic. It's like mm-hmm. they don't realize that you have probably 99% of the same knots and all the same nooks and crannies as me <laughs> because we do a lot of the same things like walk, drive, massage, right? That's my entire life. Yeah. So Minus the walking. I don't walk very much. <laughs> Can I ask you a question? You're looking at me. Yeah. yeah. Well, all of you guys, all of you guys, all two of you guys, <laughs> the therapists that are, are are on the train that trigger points aren't a thing. Mm-hmm. What do they do when they palpate something that we know is a it's, trigger it's point? It's not that. It's not that they don't palpate and, the same thing. And the patient expresses or client that there's discomfort with this. Like, what do they do with that? I think they treat it the same way we do. Their their problem with trigger points is is the language. It's how we explain it to clients and how we explain what's happening because the research shows that what we thought they were and what we thought we were doing by affecting them with our, our manual therapy mm-hmm. is not what's happening and it's not what they are. But there's this question mark of then what is it? So I'm perfectly comfortable still calling it a trigger point. I'm perfectly comfortable still explaining it the way I've always explained it and treating it the way I've always treated it because I am getting positive results. So Um, 99.9% of trigger points are acupuncture points and the Western world wants to rename them trigger points. Why do they do this? Because they want to claim that they invented them. But really, I don't know, because ancient Chinese texts show trigger points in every single location the trigger point textbook shows Mm. as Mm-hmm. acupuncture points they're literally identical so, I, yeah, I heard are. some american guy when we were in the states we were in florida not long ago and i wish i could remember it, but there was a doctor on tv um i guess marketing his system his pain relief system oh, and yes, he said oh i've studied i've studied the ancient uh chinese acupuncture charts and i've studied this and this and i overlapped them and realized and he he called them something else. He wasn't calling them trigger points, but essentially like, so basically your discovery was what all of us have been doing all along. He just called it something else. Hey guys, I have discovered that the doctors are using anatomy. (laughs) (laughs) And then I have discovered that if you overlap it with the anatomy from the other side of the world, (laughs) the human body is actually the same. Oh my God. Trigger points or acupuncture points, they're the same thing. There's a blockage of fluid or tension or electricity or... And you can't argue knows? referral patterns. I'm sorry, because you can't argue referral your, patterns, your client no. isn't schooled in these referral patterns. So when I have a client and I'm pressing on a point and they're saying, oh, I'm feeling it here and here and there's a path... Come on. And when Come you, on, bro. And when like 90% of people feel, oh, this knot <laughs> shoots into this part of my body, like, wow, you press that knot in my thigh... And I feel my knee loosening up. Oh, you press that knot in my wrist or I'm sorry, in my near my elbow and my extensors. And oh, I feel my like middle finger loosening up. Yeah, th- exactly what you said. Those clients didn't study massage to reinforce my <laughs> belief system for me and make me feel like I'm doing my job right. They definitely did not study to make sure that I feel like I'm doing the right thing. Um, so if you're a therapist in Ontario or anywhere and you think trigger points aren't a thing, 
acupuncture is a thing and if you don't think that's a thing either which please, which some might not which some might not yeah like if you don't think trigger points or acupuncture are a thing please don't practice massage anymore like i i don't understand what you're doing if you don't believe in either of those things because that's literally what we've been doing for thousands of years and that's the reason we have no, a job no right? that's not what we have been doing it's exactly as you said there's this weird east versus west thing that's where i think the problem with research is is all of these like ancient techniques that the rest of the world has been using forever might not have like you know published research articles about them but how are you going to argue with like ancient chinese yeah, medicine 3000 years like how of... are you going to argue with that so it's like the western world is now trying to do all this research on things that they don't understand and things that they don't that don't don't make sense to us it's i like, guess it's like oh, hey we didn't invent this but we're going to tell you why it works mm-hmm. or we're going to tell you why it's not real we're like eh well uh yeah we didn't invent it and we also noticed that everyone who tries it says it works but we're going to try to prove that it doesn't work yeah. uh why like why don't you just accept that this works and it's great and everyone likes it like because that's not the world we live in nobody just yeah. accepts things and and i mean like if acupuncture didn't work for you i'm sorry some people it doesn't work for because that's not what their issue was in the first place yes i think like, that's something people have a hard time wrapping their head yeah. around is not every therapy is going to like i have no issues with acupuncture truthfully it didn't mm. work for me i went for acupuncture a number of times for different mm. things and i didn't find that i got a huge benefit out of it however that doesn't mean in my mind that acupuncture is not beneficial for some people. Mm-hmm. Same thing with chiropractic. I was very, very much a very dedicated patient of chiropractic. I got a lot of relief out of it. Whereas I brought Mark to my chiropractor. He went, what, four times? And he's like, yeah, no, not, not even me. that. I mean, it's not just your chiropractor. It, I've been it, to it, chiropractors exactly. many it's, times. It's not for you. It's just, I just, yeah, it doesn't and, do. And, but he doesn't not believe that chiropractic can be an effective therapy. He wouldn't not refer someone to a chiropractor. It's just, it's not for him and what his concerns are. Acupuncture was not for me. You know, mm-hmm. it's almost like not believing that um, that hairstyle is appropriate for that person. It's like, <laughs> hey, um, you don't have my body or my head or my hair. Why do you know what's appropriate for it? <laughs> right? It's very ridiculous. It's like, hey, I know the best kind of massage for you, even though I'm not you. <laughs> do you remember Walt Fritz, that episode? The most important thing he might have said was the way we're weighing our experience clinical evidence and the patient's perspectives right? yes so that's the triangle that Walt Fritz talked about that got me interested most in like engaging these kind of topics with professionals like you guys on a mm-hmm. podcast is okay if we're looking at this equally like he suggests that we do and like the framework suggests that we do patient experience is very important yeah yep. the clinical research is very important and your experience and aptitude and skill related to what's appropriate to treat is very important. Mm-hmm. But if we think that the evidence is anywhere close to as important as the client's perspective, we're making a mistake. That's what Walt Fritz, in my opinion, was really trying to illustrate. I think it should be like 20% research, 40% what the client says, and 40% your experience, maybe something like that. And we can put more weight into the research when more research exists. Exactly. You can't throw one study at me and expect me to throw away 3,000 years of we'll call it anecdotal evidence i don't believe that there isn't research i believe that it wasn't research that you're accepting or we can't throw a research study at you then suddenly you you rule out the idea that biomechanics 
<laughs> is a, that is a thing. Favorite. Well, that's so off mic. I asked Chris, um, do you believe posture affects pain? And he looked at me again like I had two fucking heads and said, of course it does. But we had this conversation because there was, um, you know, stuff on Facebook about people saying, well, get this idea of your head. Posture doesn't affect pain. Like, how on earth can you say that? Like, let's just talk about like oh, levers you, for a second. Oh, you can you know, like, say that when you've never ever studied anatomy, biomechanics, pain science, neurology, or any of those topics. You've just like read an article and then declared that you this article, yo, this guy read it. This guy wrote this article really well. He must know what he's talking about. <laughs> That's how you conclude that posture doesn't affect pain. It's just it's you like, have to it's understand. Like you ignore the fact that there's textbooks called posture and pain. <laughs> like textbooks called that because uh, it's real. It's you know what? It's just people having to understand how to properly analyze and dissect research. Some of these studies probably have some very good points, but I don't think the point of the study was let's ignore posture. I think the point of the study was to say there are other elements and that's where psychology comes in. That's where socioeconomic factors come in. It's not saying that your posture has nothing to do with your pain. It's saying it's not the only factor. Well, and I do agree with that because you will see somebody with horrible fucking posture and they feel great. Well, the body adapts to what you do. Exactly. Right? And if you teach your body to turn pain off because your circumstances are stressful and you have to work your body off all day to get the ba- the bills paid you're not going to feel pain when you're working but it doesn't you're just, mean you're that your feel body tired. is functioning you're going to feel this you're going to feel that you're not going to have your full strength but you might not feel that much pain mm-hmm. yeah and totally. like given that i'm chris the painkiller um <laughs> i don't actually experience a lot of pain and when i do it's something i can usually fix with the booster gun massage gun or a little bit of manual therapy or just a little bit of yoga and stretching and breathing. And that's not something everyone's able to do for themselves, right? Totally. Um, part of that, like a big part of that has to do with like people don't take the initiative in their self-care as much as we advise them to, as much as we preach to them, hey, you need to do this. And that's part of your massage. Like part of what you're paying for is the advice of go to the sauna, do a cold shower at the end of your regular shower for five, 10 minutes if you can handle it. Do uh, ice pack on your knees when they swell. Like all these kinds of little tidbits of advice relate to directly reducing the pain you're experiencing in a day-to-day basis, right? My favorite sentence that happens at almost every one of my uh, massage treatments is, well, I tried to do the exercises you gave me and I'm like, here we go. <laughs> oh, yeah. like uh... I tried to do them. I'm like, why? I... The most I was just about to sound like, like Yoda. <laughs> uh, they always say, oh, yeah, I did it for the couple of days and it felt like really good. So I stopped. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, my my last client that you and her kind of passed each other, she yeah. was uh, leaving and you were coming in. Um she was really funny because she said, I give her exercises and um, I know her personal trainer and her personal trainer gives her exercises and we kind of like make sure that we're working on the same things. And so she was showing me some of the exercises he recently gave her and I gave her one additional one to add into what the trainer's been giving her. And she said, you know what my problem is, is that as soon as I have a good day, I think that you guys have fixed me and I stopped doing the exercises. I'm like, you're right. That is your problem. Now it's been identified. Stop doing that. Yeah. I tell them it's, uh, it's like, you know, when you you have uh, illness with the doctor they give you antibiotics they tell you take this until it's done all 30 pills i know after 20 pills of antibiotics you're going to feel better but, but take, take them it all. for 10 more days <laughs> because that little demon inside of you is going to become more powerful 
if you neglect it as soon as it feels better. Yeah. So what happens to the clients is they uh, sprain their ankle, do the rehab for a bit, it starts feeling kind of good. Then they go back to playing basketball at 100% without doing an extra two weeks of rehab. It felt good after six weeks. I thought I was okay. Uh, we diagnosed and like planned together as a multidisciplinary team with uh, doctorates and master's degrees and uh, a lot of brain power that you needed two more weeks and you decided on your own volition that we are wrong. Hey now man, you- but you can use your own argument against yourself here. How do you know what that person's body needs? I don't know. I don't know. We just concluded based on the evidence and our experience. And then we thought, you know, the evidence was uh, 20%. Our experience was 40%. So that made up 60. And we were dead certain that the 60 was all 60. So then the patient experience being the other 40, you have no certainty. So maybe we'll give you 20. So it's really 20 versus 60 here. And so I got to <laughs> say, he just said so many numbers. I got nothing. The multidisciplinary team that recommends you take the extra two weeks, listen to them because they basically are telling you take 10 more days of antibiotics. Mm, right. I dig it. If only our clients would listen to us. I, no, I'm kidding. I actually have some pretty good people. Although I did have another, I had a lot of new clients today. It was a strange day, um, but I had another new client today. And after I did the treatment, I I did give her I did tell her that she's going to have to do some work on her own because she's got some pretty serious stuff and uh she kind of looked at me like, "Well, what do you mean?" And I said, "Well, me doing this massage, you know, let's say once every 5 days, you will get temporary relief, but you've got some serious issues. Like you're going to have to you're going to have to do some exercise." And I can already tell based on the way she looked at me that those exercises are never getting done. That's okay by me. It's <laughs> come come you more frequently. Them, you got to make them fun like you know, when you're in the shower and uh, you have a, a wrist issue, you know, squeeze that shampoo out and then squirt it back in and then squeeze it, squeeze it out again. You got <laughs> to find a way to make the exercise fun. I don't know. While you're brushing your teeth, stand on one leg and uh, use your left arm to brush your teeth. So then you're distracted. <laughs> and videotape all of these and put so them on YouTube. You're consciously distracted by using your left hand to brush your teeth. So now you have to multitask and focus on balancing on your left leg with less brain power. What do you know about shampoo, man? Um, I actually don't have hair, so uh, nothing, and now I'm triggered. All right. So you brought in something, and actually you you talked about it, um, this massage gun. So let me give you a little bit of background. There was somebody that reached out to us a few months ago and asked us to do an episode about these massage guns, and I said to her, okay, but I'll be honest with you, I don't know anything. I mean, I know oh. what they are. I've seen them, but I don't I don't know anything. So I'm not the person to talk about it. But you walked in with one. Oh, and now it's happening on air. Please say that's a massage I know, gun. It sounds like a vibrator. It's not. It definitely sounds like a vibrator. <laughs> and uh, a lot of people ask, uh, is this a sex toy? It's not. It's a massage gun. It's made by Booster. That's one big sex toy if it is. <laughs> Yeah. Keep that away from any of my orifices. <laughs> They're not for orifices. They're mainly for uh, muscle tension. Uh, they're really good for post-workout, um, after athletics. You'll find uh, on the Instagram page, boost at Booster Guns, and uh, on my Instagram page, at Chris the Painkiller. Um, we're selling these guns online. I'm the Canadian uh, national retailer as the lead massage therapist for Booster Guns, representing uh, them for Canada. I've got a bunch of stock at my place and essentially what these guns are is they're professional rehab tools. Uh, they're percussive massagers with a motor that has programming which can detect muscle tension based on the density of the tissue. It's going to change the speed of the motor on its own reflexively as the massage gun is working on your tissue. 
So as your muscle softens, the motor changes. As you move and it finds a knot, the motor is adjusting to the knot to accommodate the kind of pressure that it anticipates is going to help that knot based on how the software has been programmed in the gun. So that's Booster. The competitors do not do that. How did you get involved with Booster? So when I became Chris the Painkiller, I uh, decided that I was going to reach out to a few different uh, companies that I wanted to associate with. And one of them was Booster Guns. I owned a Booster Gun already. And I found that it was just so much better than the Thumper, Tim Tam, Hypervolt Ice, any of the competitors. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not loud. Like a Tim Tam is loud. Oh man, this thing's whisper quiet. Like if you guys were in the room, the amount of power you get out of this given how quiet it is. Hmm. And then the fact that it has literally a smarter motor, like the artificial intelligence in the unit, it's smarter. This m- massage robot is smarter than the Tim Tam or any of the other ones. That kind of impresses me because they've all got good craftsmanship. They're all around four or $500. They're all like- I swear I saw a, a shot of a, a Tim Tam next to a jigsaw and it was like the exact same like, fabrication yeah oh yeah i feel like you might have showed me this this is all sounding very familiar yeah yeah pretty much uh they're all the same except booster gun has uh smarter engineers i guess because mm. they actually talk to massage therapists like me and ask what i think the next unit should have and i said something that can detect the tension better and maybe have the motors self-adjust more so this unit has four settings. Within each setting of the four settings, there's subsettings automatically predetermined for you based on how tense you are. How much of this do you use as a self-care tool and how much of this is for your clients? Okay, the people I live with, my mom, and then the people I live with, my roommates, and then myself, and then anybody who is ever at my house, ever. <laughs> <laughs> They're using this thing every single day. Every person who enters my house uses it. Every day, my roommate, uh, my mom, uh, me, anyone who's in the vicinity uses it. I use it after every workout. I use it every morning on my feet. If I've gone out dancing or I've gone out like doing something on my feet all day, when I come home, I use it on my feet. Wait, 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 wait. When you say dancing, yeah, tell me what you mean by dancing. Uh, are you talking about like glow sticks? Are you talking about like ballet? Are you talking about? I'm talking ja- about like uh, maybe uh, occasional glow sticks, but more like gotcha. Um, I just want to get the idea. I will definitely show you. I will dance for you. The, 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 the people are aware I have danced on IG in the past, but it will happen more because it's being requested now. But um, kind of flowy stuff. Okay, like, okay. He's uh, a, he's a young guy. Locky, he goes dancing. Gotcha, gotcha. He's pop not locky. like us old people. He's doing urban stuff. I get urban it. stuff. Urban stuff. That's, yeah. That's what how, do you, what uh, do you like? Twenty six, twenty seven. I'm twenty seven. Yeah, he's yeah. just a baby. Yeah, I don't know. I, I am a mere baby. Yeah, I, I, I realized that Walt Fritz started uh, teaching uh, myofascial seminars the year. I was born or something. <laughs> like I was like reading his like information and I was like, wow, he has been massaging since I have been breathing. <laughs> That's how I felt when we had Lee Kelpin in here. I was like, Why? because I think she said something about like she graduated massage school in 1984. And I was like, that was the year I was born. Yeah, I like, might be. <laughs> I was a mere thought Probably in was. my uh, father's uh, <laughs> testicle at the time. These people were still massaging already. And then I have the opportunity to learn from them. What a wealth of knowledge we have. Mm. Right? Yeah, it is pretty cool. And uh, um, there was one more thing that I wanted to talk to you about. The massage gun, obviously. So do you, okay, okay you, so you said yeah, everybody that comes them. to your house yeah. so I uses sell them. them, you sell them. But how frequently do you use this in your practice? Or are you still uh, more clients, hands-on? Yeah, Mostly hands-on. This is more of like a self-care tool I recommend you pick up for yourself. For mm-hmm. you to take care of yourself when I'm not around. During treatments, I will use it on certain clients, depending often as a warm up or a cool down. 
But the deepest part of my treatment, I want to palpate. I want to get in there with my hands. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I find this is amazing to use on myself because I can palpate myself and I know what I'm feeling and I know where to put it. Like everyone kind of notices that on your back, it feels really good when someone else uses it because you can't scratch your own back that well, right? But everywhere else, like your front of your body, your quads, your thighs, your calves, especially peroneals, ankles, your calves, this thing is amazing to just use on yourself. I'll sit there with my legs crossed. Like I'll literally just sit there and meditate with my legs crossed and I'll just booster the crap out of everything that I can. And then I feel like I'm like 20 pounds lighter and it's amazing how much circulation this thing pumps into your body. I would love to feel 20 pounds lighter. Yeah, you can borrow the gun. Um, <laughs> you remember, you're going to feel 20 pounds lighter. You're going to look the same, but you're going to smile. So that, that's fine. Like, as long the, as I the, feel 20 pounds lighter. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, the smile does lift 20 pounds off your face, but. Awesome. Is there anything else we want to talk? I mean, we probably are going to have to do a follow up, but anything else we want to talk to Chris the painkiller about? Oh, I did mention to you that uh, Chris is also in the music industry. You did. Oh, yeah? That. Yeah. Tell, so tell me a little bit about that. I stopped massaging full time in April. Part of the rationale was I wanted to pursue uh, a little bit more graphic design and music industry work. So I've gotten the opportunity to do light shows at a couple of different uh, concerts and uh, a couple of different venues. And I'm uh, involved in setting up a new nightclub right now where we're going to be setting up a couple of projectors to do light shows uh, based on some animation and graphic design work I've been involved with learning. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, this has been really interesting. I've been able to book DJs and meet a lot of DJs in uh, kind of the house music, techno music, kind of EDM communities. At the same time, a close friend of mine kind of started to develop a record label and he's been putting music out on Apple Music and Spotify. Mm -hmm. And so I've kind of been collaborating with him and helping to manage talent uh, under uh, Yen Dollar Sign Euro Records. So it's Young and Soulless Records. So we're on Apple Music and Spotify. It's a cash money. So it's a cash, a.k.a. dollar sign H money on uh, iTunes and Spotify. His new album is called Play This When You Miss Me. It's R&B slash soul. Mm-hmm. It's uh, kind of an urban soul kind of feel. It's good lounge music. It's good vibes. It's good feel. It's uh, 432 hertz. So the frequency of the music feels really good to the body. Not only does it sound good, but the vibrational frequency feels good based on the hertz of the music. And, you know, as an up and comer in this industry, um, I've just trying to kind of support him with the management and kind of uh, resources that I have at my disposal because of my social media platform and kind of develop this in that way. Over the course of the last kind of four or five months, I've taken a lot of time away from massage hands-on to kind of like explore a lot of learning, explore a lot of like art, explore more graphic design, explore opportunities like I'm doing audiovisual work uh, as a technician at University of Toronto now too. Branching out of the hands-on work to give my brain a bit of a break and have it more refreshing. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what I've been up to lately. So for that reason... When I get into a conversation about massage or I get into a treatment, like I did a treatment for uh, one of my really good friends today, a TMJ treatment, I'm going way deeper in terms of the knowledge and the understanding and the approach. And I'm way more engaged and inspired than I have been. And getting that inspiration back, I needed to take the time off to kind of find it again because I was working 40 hours way too long, doing Mm -hmm. too many treatments for like three years giving up my weekends, giving up my Thursday, Friday evening and my weekend blocks to be a successful therapist. That's what I needed to do at the time. And um, yeah, this uh, spring and summer has been an opportunity for me to explore other options. And while I'm I'm still a massage therapist and that's never, I'm never going to forget how to massage, it feels good to know that 
there's can be a well-rounded way of doing this. I might be that RMT that does 15, 10 treatments a week and is happy at that. I don't think I need to be doing 30, 40 treatments a week anymore for where I'm at today. Well, that's the thing. You 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 did the legwork at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I mean, you wouldn't walk into it from the beginning and you can't have success if you're like, oh, I'm only going to do 10, 15 a week right from the get-go. I mean, you got to you got to put in the legwork which yeah. which yeah. you did. When I was when I think I graduated got to work like a dog at the beginning. Age, I think. I was yeah, I think I was 27 when I graduated and uh yeah, for the first probably two, three years, I was killing myself doing the long work weeks, You're supposed 12 hour days. To, exactly. But that's what you got to do, and, right? And Everyone. Yeah. And it, it, it didn't feel like killing myself. It's that's the point. The dues. It's, yeah. yeah. I was I totally loved, fine oh, to do don't it. Don't get me wrong. I loved every minute of yeah, it yeah. until I'm walking home one day and I realize there's just a shift. One day I'm walking home. It's winter, like February or something. And I've done like eight massages that day it's freezing cold it takes me an hour and 10 minutes to get to work an hour and 10 minutes to get home i'm getting home at like 10 30 at night mm-hmm. and i have to go back in the next day for like nine in the morning 9 30 in the morning and then you get the realization and i don't need to do this I anymore i just realized i'm like i'm kind of hoarding money as a massage therapist working six days a week and not having the energy to enjoy what i'm earning what the hell am i doing this for mm-hmm. i got an rmt so i could have quality of life come first so I could work 25 hours a week and make money as if I work 40 because I'm working my butt off for those 25. Uh, so I could be my own boss and I decide when I come in, I decide my flexibility. There's a lot of reasons I got into massage that I wasn't exercising and using those. But you can't in the beginning. Like Mark said, you kind of have to do that legwork to get to, get to the to comfortable the- spot yeah. where you can say, you can't expect- I'm only going to do 15 a week right. because I can afford to do this now. Yeah, you can't expect to come out of massage school. Like, yes, I know a lot of people go into it for the freedom, the flexibility, all of that. But you can't expect to come out of school and say like, this is all I'm going to do and have this part-time practice. And it, no. Well, no, then you, you have a part-time job. be able to grow like- I was putting like 50 hours on schedule sometimes between my physio clinic and my spa in order to get 35 or 40 massages yeah. because you're just and, you're not full all the time. And then at the, yeah, exactly. at the beginning, when you first come out of school, the more people you can fucking get your hands on, it just is going to make you it's a better make fucking you better, therapist. Exactly. Yeah. Like when I first came out, I was so itchy to massage. I was like, give me six days, give me five days, yep. give mm-hmm. me six, seven, eight clients a day. Yep. I want the reps. I want the massages. I want the hours. So in five years from now, I can look back and say, hey, I've done 15,000 hours of massage. And I feel like those hours have made me a better person. Every single one of them, I've learned something, right? And when I kind of hit that point, it wasn't 15,000. It's just an arbitrary number, right? Yeah, yeah. But I remember it was in February. It was freezing. And I realized, I'm like, oh, I'm going to take a leave. And over the next two months, I kind of finally made the decision by like March, April, I was kind of on my way to deciding I'm taking a leave. And um, I've looked back a bunch of times since I miss my coworkers. I miss the I miss like, you know, the break time where like a few of us don't have a client and we're in a room and everyone's like, Craig, what do you think? Ashley, what do you think? Chris, what do you think? What are you doing for this? Mm -hmm. That I miss that. And that's when I kind of realized I think I want to be an educator more than an actual therapist at this point going forward. And I might still be a five, 10 hour therapist, but I think I want to be a 20, 30 hour educator. Mm -hmm. And that shift is kind of what has been going on for me in the last year, realizing that while I may be a really good practitioner, I feel like my best skill set might be helping people understand what they can do better as a practitioner. Then do it. That's the beauty of this industry. You can do anything you fucking want. 
So that being said, sir, in closing, you win the lottery. Win millions, millions. What are we doing? What are we doing this whole massage career thing? So I win the lottery. I pay my mom's mortgage off. Then we leverage uh, the fact that we have a corner house, uh, a very large uh, property. We sell it. We get a place in Innisfil, maybe, on Lake Simcoe. <laughs> I don't know exactly where. Maybe Muskoka. Who knows? We get uh, You've thought about this. We get goats. We get lambs. We get chickens. A uh, lot of vegetables. Grow marijuana. Grow sweet potatoes. All kinds of things like this. Um, Just marijuana and sweet potatoes. That would be that would be an awesome <laughs> fucking farm. That's well, like, that's say. the start. Like One side is like herbal. One side is like vegetables, right? So you start with the best vegetable, sweet potato. You start with the best herb, uh, marijuana, and then... Simple shit. Uh, then we get uh, multiple dogs, uh, a horse, maybe two, so they have a friend. Um, <laughs> I like llamas so and alpacas, so maybe a few of them. I heard but they're mean. Hey, man. You, not to each other. To, which, so we llamas? set them up with each Both other. Both llamas and alpacas are not supposed to be friendly animals. Well, we just we just met someone a couple days ago that went, that went hiking hiking with... with llamas, but she did say that they're not that friendly. Okay, mm. but did she have a million dollars? Because if she did, she would have a trainer. <laughs> I will. So I will have a trainer. I know a million dollars is not that much, but in you can get a nice place in. What Insta did the bare naked like ladies say? They'd buy a goat. Uh, I'd buy you a goat. Was it a goat? God. Damn it. If I had a million dollars, I'd buy you a house. I believe that's the way the song goes. They would, they buy, would buy a lot of, of things. things. A, a green dress, but not a real green dress, because that's cruel. But there's lots of things they would buy. Yeah. Some art, maybe a Garfunkel. <laughs> a, a Picasso or a Garfunkel. Oh, oh my God, yeah. why do I know so many lyrics to that song? <laughs> so then uh, then I get a jet ski. Because they're Canadian. Because uh, jet skis are cool, especially the ones that have three seats. Hmm. Because then you can have uh, you, your lady, and the and dog. your third wheel. <laughs> Well, there's, gonna, al- there's always a third wheel. Who's gotcha. going to roll the weed? <laughs> Anyways, uh, what else did I do with the million dollars? Um, <laughs> I rent your your llama trainer is going to roll before you guys hit the water is what's going to happen. Probably, because in the back I got a llama. marijuana. <laughs> you don't want this. I don't know. We're not doing this right now. <laughs> Amazing. I think what he was really asking you is, would you still work i think what we realized is he at some point has sat down and decided what is he gonna do when he wins the lottery yeah i've had this conversation with myself before yeah we've had this conversation many times and if you with others with myself with the dog the llama um you i don't know if you've listened to this many episodes to know that if mark won millions of dollars what he would do is buy this buy homes in different cities that he would like to live in but make sure that he furnished and decorated those homes exactly the same so no matter which city he was in he was oh home oh my god it, oh my god it's that's brilliant so right so you you're like in california but you wake up and you don't know because you got fucked up the day before you have no idea where you are all, all you know is I'm you're at, home i'm at home you, yeah you're good with it because that's the only place you want to be and then i'm at you home could be maybe on a binge and then go outside and realize you're in a different city than you thought and that's not the way i need to live because we're different people so i will not do that <laughs> um if i had a million dollars how will it impact my practice is that what you're asking like, like what am would i doing you, would you still if, work? If, if you didn't have to do this to make money yeah anymore would you still do it in you some capacity it? i i don't have to do this to make money and i still do it mm, there's the answer there's the answer so, yeah like literally i've done and this month i think i did three massages i mostly talk about massaging uh talk about booster guns talk about how much i like massage 
talk about osteopathy. I mostly just talk. <laughs> you <laughs> well, the right were the perfect podcast guest tonight. Um, well, I mean, I, I I'm willing to massage people. I mean, DM me. I'll set up an appointment. It's just I've decidedly like not booked appointments. Like people ask me like, when do you have time? I'm like, I will say literally one day Thursday, and then they don't have time, and I'm like. That sucks because I'm working here this day, here this day, here this day. I'm doing this this day. And then I have consciously decided I would like to massage three people this week or I would like to massage two people this week because I was so burnt out from massaging so many people every week that that's just the phase I'm in now. And I'm going to be really happy when that feeling slowly goes away. And I know every day it's less and less. And like I had a lot of fun researching some cool craniomandibular stuff and working on a client today. I'm getting engaged again, so no, I totally get it. I, I, you do because you go through. I go through phases, phases where you I like phases of treat, wanting to treat it. like fucking crazy, and yeah. then I go through a phase of like, mm, let's just do as little as I as I need to do, or let's just not do this at all right now. And I just go in and out of phases. Yeah, and that's the flexibility. But that's, that's also that. from being super busy because you got a lot of things on the go. I got a lot of things on the go, and then sometimes just other parts of the things on the go turn 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 me on a little bit more. And you know, I'm always engulfed in it. Every day, I open my Instagram. Instagram 10,000 times a day. All my friends know that I'm on my phone way too much. But Mm -hmm. what am I looking at? I'm looking at a treatment video or I'm looking at some chakra stuff or I'm looking at like something in my field, probably 50% of the time or more. Mm -hmm. And um, most of my friends are very interested in aligning their bodies properly and exercise therapy and pain relief. And we're having lots of conversations about their personal growth and their chakras and their yoga experiences and there are trigger points that they're working on themselves now that we've talked about it and having my friends decidedly do self-care that they would never do because they've never been to a real massage therapist besides me that kind of stuff is cool and i don't need to work in 20 hours a week in a spa to make that ripple effect that i'm looking to make speaking of dms can you tell people i mean we've said your name multiple times but just tell people again that want to get in touch with you what's the best way so the best way to get in touch with me is via direct message on instagram i'm at Chris the Painkiller. No spaces, no underscores. At Chris the Painkiller. You can also find me on Facebook. It's Chris Lochan, L-O-C-H-A-N. And um, those are the best ways to book an appointment with me to purchase a booster gun at the best price you can get in Canada, which is over $100 Canadian off the price they sell on the website which I'm allowed to do as a Canadian retailer. Anyone following me who wants to buy a booster gun, you're getting $100 off or more. I'm pricing them really, really fairly because I want my followers to be able to get access to these tools. Um, So like the booster on the website right now, the booster pro model is $650, I believe, $645 plus tax. And I'm selling them for $400 plus tax. Cool. So that's $245 off retail. Um, sorry, 400 with tax included already. So that's Chris the Painkiller. Um, and these guns include the full warranty from Booster themselves. So you have a problem, you bring it right to me. I give you a new gun on the spot to take home. I take your faulty one. So you're not even one day without it. And I exchange it. So you don't have to worry about the headache of mailing it or anything like that if there's a problem. Nobody's had a problem yet. And uh, yeah, so best way to find me is Instagram. And I'm happy to book appointments for people. It's just that the schedule right now is not very massage heavy. 
I'm very happy to do seminars, one-on-one education, people who want to do a little bit of one-on-one and see kind of different treatment style. Um, I'm happy to network and do exchanges with other RMTs and students. And uh, that's kind of where I'm at now. So I really appreciate you guys taking the time to interview me and ask these kind of questions and open a very comfortable dialogue about these kind of topics that I think are really important for everyone to have on the tip of their tongue and keep uh, delving, dwelling into over time. Right on. Well, we appreciate the fact that uh, people are finding serious value in some of the episodes we're putting out. So I'm glad that you... Be, I know I say that all the time and I joke and but I have said before I do I do know that we have some really awesome guests on here and part of our style is to keep things light and we joke around and whatever but the main goal of the podcast was first and foremost education with a side of potty mouth and entertainment well sure, that's yeah. what it became <laughs> Well, people got to realize like massage therapists are like pretty much deadpan, serious, kind of like calm, relaxed vibe all day long. Cannot really be too much of a personality because it's not particularly professional to really be yourself all the time when you're a massage therapist. So when you get a chance to be yourself, but still talk about massage therapy and be engaged in that part of your brain, but engage your personality too, it's like. I don't know. In the osteo textbook, there's a section about humor. Hmm. There's a little section about humor. And it's like, you have to acknowledge awkward moments and laugh. Otherwise, you seem rigid and cold. Yeah, you have to seem like a human with your patients. Otherwise, you're not making them very comfortable. Yeah. And and like in this humor section, it's a small section. They say wisdom comes from experience, but experience only comes from a lack of wisdom. And that shit's funny. Because you will not know something and you will mess up because you don't have the wisdom. But now you have the experience. And now that you have the experience, you have the wisdom. Dun, dun, dun. It's like the chicken and the egg. And I'll leave you with that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for coming in and hanging out. Right on. You guys have been listening to Two Massage Therapists and a Microphone. Peace.